Bob Roberts is the global senior pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in Keller, Texas. An evangelical Christian, he also co-founded the Multi-Faith Neighbors Network with Muhammad Majid, a Muslim imam, and David Saperstein, a Jewish rabbi. Roberts Church recently hosted the Global Faith Forum conference called Unlikely, which brought together Christians, Muslims, and Jews from around the world in multi-faith dialogue. Pastor Roberts joins me now from Keller, Texas. Dr. Roberts, what brings all these people together? Why now? Because we are fractured in our relationships with one another. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. Islamophobia is on the rise. White nationalism is on the rise. We've got a mess on our hands. And civil society has been frayed in a profound way in the last several years. And unless we make it a priority to build these bridges, then we lose our society. And so it's a matter of building bridges with people that we would be unlikely to normally be in a relationship with. So what we're trying to say is, uh, not do you agree with everything that everyone here believes, but is there a place in what you do believe that makes place for people who believe differently than you? And how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And so what I'm trying to do, everybody on this stage, frankly, is my friend. I've done different projects, different things with them. So I'm bringing a community in to watch a lot of us that are friends, how we work together, what we do together. Uh, and we're all different. Some are highly educated, some are not. You know, some are scholars, some are activists, some are pastors, some are professors. It's everything. And it takes all of that to build the fabric of a society. The second thing I would say is this. Something profound has happened. Uh, The president of the Muslim World League has written this charter, the Charter of Mecca, that promotes human rights, dignity, uh, human rights for women and children, uh, religion. This is a big deal. Now, we can say, well, it should go further here or go further there. But when was the last time you heard of a human rights document that came out of Saudi Arabia in the Muslim World League? When was the last time you heard them write a statement that saying we need to respect the religious differences and the religious dignity of people? And people should be allowed to practice their faith. When was that? So I don't have to have perfect. I just have to have movement. And I want to go, yeah, I want to encourage that. I want to throw gas on it. And what I'm trying to help evangelicals do is to say, look at all the people that are here and how they're wanting to work together. Yes, there are extremists. There are problematic people. But there are people that are here that are challenging their own tribe, Muslims to Muslims. I'm challenging my tribe, Christian to Christian, to say, let's build bridges with people that are trying to make a difference. Have you paid a price for trying to work with Muslims and with Jews among evangelicals? Very significant price. I can tell you how to grow a megachurch, and I can tell you how to ungrow it. And, and you grow it by focusing on, on Sunday and your programs and your systems and your processes. And that's good, and we should. And I encourage every pastor to do that. But you should never do that at the price of losing your prophetic leadership. And in America today, about the only people we're prophetic against are those that are not like us. But if you look at the prophetic tradition in Israel, and it must be so with us, we're most prophetic towards our own tribe. But we're not right now. We're telling the whole world what's wrong with them. Well, we know the church is really messed up right now. Mm. And 
we don't have the courage to speak because we may lose members. In the long haul, what we may wind up with is not a church at all, but a museum of religious memories mm. where we gather for social purposes. No, the gospel should make a difference in how we relate to one another. Would you say that evangelicals are skeptical of efforts of interfaith dialogue? And yes. if so, why? Two, three reasons. I'd say number one, because interfaith, I get it. It's, it's kind of like all roads lead to heaven. Well, I don't believe that as an evangelical. Uh, and, and because we're conservative, people can laugh at us for our views. Why do you want to subject yourself to that? I'd rather just preach the gospel, do my church thing, and, and, and why should I subject myself to that? So I think there's a thousand reasons why. But there are more reasons why you should be involved. So, so if we don't like it, let's change it. So we call it multi-faith. Just a way to differentiate. Multi-faith says... You don't have to compromise your religion. As a matter of fact, live it out to the fullest. Gandhi once told uh, E. Stanley Jones when Jones asked him about being a missionary. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Stanley Jones, going to be a missionary to India, asked Gandhi, how can I best be a missionary? When was the last time we Christians asked people, the leaders of the people we wanted to follow Jesus, can you tell me how to do my job good? I mean, just let that sink in. And here's what he said. Don't hold back on your core truths, but live it as a model. So I think that's another reason. I think another reason is we're afraid. We've let uh, spurious media, forwarded emails from spurious sites, tell us things about people that are not so. I love the movie Dances with Wolves. And I love that line when he's writing in his journal and he says, what they say about this people, it's not true. And he's talking about the Indians. Uh, in my journal, I remember I was watching that overseas on a plane. I pulled out my journal immediately. So I, I think we don't know them. We have wrong ideas. And, and here's what else happens. The benefits are, number one, peacemaking. And Jesus told us to do that. Another benefit is uh, the society is able to relax and we're not tense and uptight and we have civility. But here's something I didn't plan on. Never in a million years would I have thought this would have led to the decrease of religious persecution in Muslim countries. So all the bad press, so to speak, I got, and all the criticism I got, it's all over the Internet. I mean, I've been accused of being a secret Muslim, member of the Muslim Brotherhood, all this crazy kind of stuff. It endeared the Muslims to me because I thought, wow, here's this guy. He's standing up for Muslims' religious freedom in America. And so when I go across the world and I've got this imam that, I, that travels with me, and he says, look, what he's doing back in America, and they know that, it has a profound impact. It's got to be a challenge <clears throat> um, when you, I, I know from, from the conversations I've had at this conference, that there are people who are part of exclusivist religions that believe it very strongly. I, I'm sure it's fair to say you believe in the inerrancy of scripture, I, do. I would guess. I do. And, and here you stand with Muslims and Jews on the same stage in your yeah. worship center here. Yeah. Um, are you all trying to convert each other on a regular basis? I know you joke that you want to baptize everybody who's not baptized if you can, yeah. you know. But how do you, how do you um, balance that dynamic? Well, first of all, uh, let me just give you one example. I went to a particular country that was a Muslim-majority nation. And a very prominent young pastor went with me. You'd know his name if I were to call it. He wanted to see what I was doing. And he, he asked me this. He said, hey, Bob, but do you ever get to share your faith? I mean, you do all this stuff, but... And, and it was incredible. The next morning I saw him. I was busy working with all the diplomats. I said, how's it going? And we sat down at breakfast, and he just started sobbing. And he said, man, Bob, I didn't understand. 
I've done nothing but talk about my faith, but here's the difference. They're asking me. Here's what I think we don't understand. We want to do evangelism without benefit of relationship or respect. We don't have a relationship with people and we don't respect their traditions. And that's problematic. So, so the majority of my time, I now live with non-Christian people. So I'm always talking about Jesus and theology and they're asking me and they're pushing me, what is this about and what's that about and what's going on? So I think you have to push evangelism when you live a life isolated from people who are not Christians. But you think me and Majid don't talk about Jesus and what we believe? I'm always talking about mercy. Uh, is mercy merited based on, and this is what one Imam scholar told me, long conversation. Yeah, we see mercy is based upon the rewards that we get for doing right. And I said, and we see mercy based upon what Jesus did on the cross. Mm. That's a big difference. We both believe in mercy, but how we get it, two different things. Do you and Majid pray together? Yeah, we have. Do you believe you're praying to the same God? I don't know. I don't know. God of Abraham, yeah. But I also spell God J-E-S-U-S. He does not. So I don't know how that all works. I'll let God figure it out. Here's what I do know. God hears. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. What? You think God goes blind, deaf, and dumb when somebody starts praying, calling him by a different name? What about the person who's passionately seeking God and the only term they've ever heard for God is some other name that we wouldn't use? Are you going to tell me God doesn't hear their prayer? What do you do with Cornelius? I mean, here's Cornelius. He ain't no Jew. And yet, what does it say? The angel comes and says in Acts, your prayers and your alms have been heard before God. Boy, that's crazy evangelism. Nobody was there to tell him he was in the wrong religion. Hmm. So... I think we limit God. I think our Christian bubble makes us see people as in or out based on our traditions. That's very dangerous. At this conference, which has a great title, it's called Unlikely, bringing all these people together. There's so much talk about coexistence and coming together in peace. And that really sounds great. But you're in the trenches doing this work. What is the true hurdle? Like, I think someone from the outside say, come on, get it together, get along. Be peaceful. It seems easy. Why is it not easy? Our own tribes. Our own tribes. So like me and Majid are close and David Saperstein, we do stuff all over the world. Wild stuff, crazy stuff. All over the world. And it's very profound. But we're friends. What makes it hard is, until you get to know someone, you believe everything bad someone tells you about them. I tell Christians all the time, they say, I want to find out about Islam. Uh, what book should I go to the Christian bookstore and buy? And my response is, for God's sakes, the last place in the world you want to go find a book on Islam is at a Christian bookstore. It wants to win an argument. It wants to win an argument. It doesn't want to have a conversation. Look, read the Quran. You'll see the discrepancies between us and them immediately. Uh, so, so the thing that I would say that's important, when you look at somebody and you're, you're trying to push forward, you have to realize that they were created in the image of God and that we do things with people. Look at the book of Acts. So I used to think missions, and I always wanted to be a missionary. That was my focus, my wife and I both. I used to think missions was something I did to other people in the name of God. It's not. It's what I do with people for the glory of God. Hmm. Those are two different approaches. 
Before I let you go, I, I want to get back to kind of how difficult this work is within your own tribe. Last night at the conference, um, we heard gospel singers. We heard a cantor from a synagogue sing. Yeah. And we also heard recitation from the Quran in a, in a Baptist worship center in Texas. Surely that's not uncontroversial among some no, people, it right? it is. And I'm sure there's a lot on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else about it. But I'm an evangelical, and so I believe in inerrancy. And I believe that the temple uh, is, is within us, that Christ lives within us. So that building to me is not sacred. It's what Christ has done in me. That building is going to burn to the ground one day. It will no longer exist. It's just a building. And here's what I've learned. If I want people to listen to what I believe, and what we did, if you remember, we read the Apostles' Creed, and then we sang the old hymn, Living, He Loved Me, Dying, He Saved Me, Buried, Carried My Sins Far Away. Last night, everyone here heard the gospel. It's exciting to me. How many churches we go to where people who've never been to a church heard the gospel? Last night, people heard the gospel. Well, guess what? For them to hear the gospel, I had to be willing to hear the Quran. And I had to be willing to hear Jewish cantor. Here's my question. Is my faith not strong enough to be solid so that just the mere exposure to another religion, it will not stand? Or it'll infect and pollute? What kind of weak faith is that? Last question. You have said that um, you have more friends who are non-Christian now, maybe than close friends who are Christian. And I'm sure you have many friends who are Christian from your whole life. Um, How has that changed you. I don't think I understood what love was. I think I understood love was you're like me, so I love you. So the closer you get to Jesus, the more I love you. Where's that in the Bible? And what happened was the Holy Spirit started working in my heart and life as I became friends with people. And I had to go back to the Bible. Am I doing something wrong here? I really love this imam. I love this rabbi. I care about him. Uh, you know, they've got problems with their kids. I've got problems. We've all got problems. And I think what it did to me, it taught me what real love was. You know the passage where Jesus said the rich young ruler went away and it says he was grieved. And I think, why was he grieved? Because there's another lost soul. No, because he created that rich young ruler. He grieved. You can only grieve about something you love. And I think I, I didn't know what love is. I think it also made my theology much deeper. Uh, the Trinity became incredibly important. Incredible. I could go down a list of doctrines. But here's the thing. Trying to give a 600-page explanation of the Trinity is problematic. So those who get into the Trinity, tragically what they do, they go so deep nobody knows a thing they say. But I begin to realize, well, forget explaining that to Muslims. I've got to do that as a pastor at my own church. So I begin to teach heavy theology that a fourth grader could understand. Pastor Roberts, thank you so much for joining me today. I enjoyed being with you. Thank you. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at religionmag.